I spent a little bit of time reflecting about that. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And uh, that's where we're still at. And I often think, I had this illustration mentioned to me a couple years ago about pulling up your plowshares a little bit. Right? You step into a text, and uh, some of us are farmers, we understand you sink your plow, and there's, a, there's a, a, a certain depth that you're looking for. I think Dad always said it was around six inches with the soil type that we had. And if you get the plow too deep, you start pulling up um, dirt that's not going to do any good, it hasn't been fertilized and whatnot, and you go too shallow, and it's not going to do what it's supposed to do either. But uh, sometimes you just have to sink your plowshares just a little bit. And... Uh, it's been a special time for me in light of, of working through what it means to know Christ, what it means to receive Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at what it means to be born of God, what it means to be a spiritual new creation, the importance of understanding um, what that means. And whenever I think of, of these verses, uh, verse 12 in particular, I think of Awana. You've heard me mention this. It's a great gospel verse, right? I think many of us have memorized it, but as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe on His name. But I don't remember my leaders or the books or the teachers ever taking me to that next part of that verse. Um, that's a semicolon in there, right? I, don't, I, think, I think it's a semicolon. And semicolon connects it. It's just a pause I'm not an English teacher by no means, but I know that we have to um, connect that next thought with the first thought. Right? But as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. How many have sat down with a kid in the one and explained that second verse connecting that with them? It's an interesting thought, and in light of me going to Ontario to, with a heart burden, the Father's burden to explain the importance of these things to my son before baptism, right? It, it, it's out of that that these three thoughts came, receiving Christ, knowing Christ, receiving Christ, and understanding what it means to be born of God, what it means to be born of God again, and I better pray to get my tongue wrapped around this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You for this time. Lord, I thank You for these truths that You've given us. I thank You for the time You've given us to look at these, Lord, because we have such a need to understand them ourselves. We have a need to be able to explain these to people around us that, Lord, You bring into our past. Lord, this is eternal life. This is uh, what a relationship with You looks like. And Lord, <laughs> it's an exciting thing when we grasp it. Be with us this morning. Lord, be with my, my lips. Help me to speak of you, Lord, and help, help things just to be clear. In your precious name, amen. So I, the, the idea of leaving the topic of spirituality out of our faith is to try to live life calling ourselves Christians, but trying to live life on empty. Does that make sense? Like we don't talk about spirituality, we don't talk about, about well, we use words like following or surrendering, but, but we don't look at what it means to take on a new nature at salvation. 
We don't talk about what that new creation actually means. And, and, and if we don't talk about it, to leave that out is tr- just calling ourselves Christian and trying to live life on empty. I ask the question, have you ever been there? Have you ever been living a Christian life on empty? Because each of us in this room, I really feel, know what a comforted heart feels like. We know what it feels like to experience peace when we read that verse. Right there, that verse that just hits, hits the mark. Or, or we come in after a hard week um, into the Lord's house and, and that hymn is sung and we're like, Lord, I, just, I, I needed that. That, that. that just spiritually fed my soul. It just lifted me up. That verse over the radio. Right? The, the oddest time, a, a song comes over, um, not the country station, not any station, but the Christian one, right? and, it, and, it, and it feeds you, it lifts you. We know what it means to be comforted in that quietness or season of prayer. You, you go into it with a, a burden and you know what it means to be spiritually lifted up. You, you know what it means to be spiritually comforted. But I think everyone in this room, if we were completely honest... We also know what spiritual emptiness feels like. We know what it feels like when we're not where we need to be before God. We know what it feels like when there's sin in our lives, when when the the lusts of the flesh um, start creeping into places where they really have no place. We we know what it's like to be angry or, or feel malice towards someone. We know what it feels like, that emptiness, when we're not faithful in our prayer lives, when we're not faithful in in spending time in His Word. You look for the Holy Spirit in your life. You look for Him. You you, you look and you reach out and you grasp and you ask Him to move in your life. You even even come to that place where you make sure that you're listening. But there's nothing. I think we've all been in that place. Spiritually empty. You're reaching, you're listening, you're like, Lord, you have to do something here and there's nothing. The Apostle John went through this himself. As we think of the importance of him including these truths in the prologue of the Gospel, we can't forget that John started out himself at square one. John went through these things himself. Now Friday morning at at breakfast time, and this will kind of give you a a little insight as to how much you need to pray for my wife. I had this thought. (laughs) Friday morning at breakfast, she wasn't even done her, her first coffee yet. John himself started at square one. The Apostle John writing this. He started, he had to be introduced to Christ. You think at the very beginning. I I had never really thought about that. He had to be introduced to Christ. He had to be introduced himself to the concept of spiritual life. The concept of Jesus being and bringing spiritual light that shines, not in the the physical way, but the, the spiritual darkness of man's hearts. He had to be introduced to Jesus as being Creator. Can you picture that? Jesus teaching and Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. I am the Creator. I am who I am. And you go on, man, I'm looking at you. John himself had to start from square one. John had to work through, by faith, 
the concept or the idea of spiritually receiving Christ. John had to work through the idea of spiritually receiving that new nature in Christ. Being born again, adopted by God. We can't forget that this man was a Jew. This man was a Jew. Now all this is, 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 is leading us to the, thought, the fact, and the thought was, John started out clueless. John asked the questions. You read it all through the Gospel of John. He asked the questions. John made the mistakes. All right? We see John falter. He was one of the sons of thunder. Okay? He did things um, <laughs> because that's what men do. <laughs> we do things and then we have to think about it. And this is me connecting myself. Remember, Jeremy, this was all new to John at the start. Just like it was for me, and this is me getting personal, just like it was for me five years ago. When I took hold of Christ, I shared that last, last Sunday, when I took hold of Christ, this became brand new to me. I realized that my life um, needed to look like this. I needed to know what John is saying. I needed to know who this Jesus is. And, and my wife says all the time, Jeremy, I don't know where you're coming from. And I'm like, Sometimes I don't know that either. But she says, you approach everything just like you're a new believer. I ask those questions. I, I looked at where, where we begin. And, and, and that's because I do. Because I've lived not knowing. I've lived not having the Jesus of this, this Bible leading and guiding me. And I know that I need to know who He is. Are we ready for my thought Friday morning at breakfast? Yeah? <laughs> The Gospel of John is written around A.D. 90, right? John is an old man. He's got it figured out now, right? He's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, and, and he's looking back, writing to these churches of what they need to know, right? Well, John, at this point himself, as well as the churches, have the Pauline epistles, okay? They have all the letters that Paul had written to the churches about the theology, right? We know that. They had the theology. They, they have the doctrine that they're supposed to be teaching. And they have the practice. So they have this. And, and in A.D. 90, the churches are not exactly where they need to be. So John is writing to the churches who had all the, the theology, the doctrine, and practice. And he's basically telling them, you need to read the epistles of Paul with the Gospels, side by side. Don't get caught up in the theology and the practice and the doctrine without having Christ in that picture. John is, is writing this Gospel, bringing Jesus in to teach them the theology. Because Jesus does the same thing. He teaches us. He shows us the theology. He shows us the doctrine. He shows us the practices that we're supposed to live. It's the spiritual side of things. John is bringing Christ into the picture to unify a Christ-centered theology, a Christ-centered doctrine, and a Christ-centered practice for the church. Please pray for my wife. That was Friday morning at breakfast table. Okay, <laughs> But it, it makes sense, doesn't it? We can't read the epistles of the New Testament without having the Gospel of Jesus open right beside it. He needs to be the center of what we believe. 
So that's leading, leading this study, and this will be the last, last day that we spend in the prologue. But we've looked at spiritually knowing Christ, that, that gnosko, that um, stepping into an intimacy with Christ, that being engaged in Christ, the importance of a believer understanding that. We've looked at spiritually receiving Christ, uh, the Greek being limbano, and it meaning to take hold of Christ, take hold of Him. And, and that's such an important thing for us to understand as believers, new believers. We can't change ourselves. We can't do this Christian life on our own. We need to take hold of Christ. And this morning, we'd like to look at spiritually being born of God, what it means to be a new creation spiritually. And that's all in these two verses here. But as many, verse 12, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the rights or the power or the privilege, the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When you approach the topic of salvation, whether that's with our SWAT group, our ministries, our prayer meetings, or conversations outside of these walls, when we approach the topic of salvation, how important is it to understand that it's spiritual? How important is it to understand that it's spiritual? At some point in our lives, and it's, it, maybe this is my country background, and I think I think I understood it in my head and, and, and I understood the, how it works. But the idea of it being a spiritual transaction, I don't think I fully grasped. And, and by faith, that's how we grow in it. But Romans 10.17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So at some point, I just want to work through the salvation process to make sure that we understand it's spiritual. At some point, we heard the Gospel. All right. we, we heard somebody sharing with us that we're sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we, we understood, we're hearing it with our ears. Somebody took the time. That's why evangelism is so important. Somebody showed us from 1 Corinthians 15 that, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. All right? He paid the price for our sins. And He was buried. And He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So spiritually, that starts resonating in our hearts. Hebrews 4, verse 12. We know that verse real well. Um, I've got a lot of things rattling around. The Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. So as you heard that gospel, spiritually that starts settling in on your soul and spirit. All right? God starts using that. Turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8. You've heard the Gospel. You've heard the Word of God preached in a meeting, in a verse, in a, in a track, and in, in it's settling in on you. John chapter 16, verse 8 tells us, when He has come. Who's the He? That's the Holy Spirit. When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness 
and of judgment. Right? That is the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, taking the Gospel, and, and His spiritual transaction taking place in you. You are being brought to the place of understanding that you're a sinner. That's how we approach that salvific or, or that salvation decision. The Holy Spirit is moving you to that place. We are then moved to that place to spiritually believe place our faith in, um, but as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right to be called children of God, to those who believe in His name. We place our faith in Christ. We place our faith in the payment He made on the cross with His life, with His blood. We entrust our hearts with Christ. We entrust our spirits, okay, our spiritual condition with Christ. We give it to Him. And, and He looks after it for eternity. There, there's a beautiful picture of, of giving Him. We're created with a, a spirit, soul, body, and our, our eternity, we give it to Him. And we say, Jesus, it's Yours. We believe. And then we receive. But as many as have received Him, taking hold of Christ, we receive Him. That spiritual transaction takes place. Okay? This is salvation. That spiritual transaction takes place. And, and, and the verse that comes to mind is Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that regeneration, it's, it's a cleaning, it's a, it's a wiping away, it's instantaneous. Even that's being challenged in liberal circles today. We're, we're, it's instantaneous, we're regenerated, and we're renewed through the Holy Spirit. That whole process takes place spiritually. There's nothing that we can do. It's all, it's all God in our lives, in our, in our spirit, doing what He does. Then we are spiritually adopted. All right? And you're going to hear me use this word a lot, spiritually. We are spiritually adopted because as a, as a youth, as a teen, I, didn't, I, don't, I know I didn't get this part. You are spiritually adopted. But as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. You're spiritually adopted into the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's a spiritual thing. That's not something we gather in on Sundays. Okay, It kind of is, but it's talking about the spiritual side of things. You're adopted. Now, this is, this is the, the, the more complex one. It's not really, but it's one that I think we steer away from. We then receive a new spiritual nature. Okay? We receive the nature of Christ. It's a, it's a divine thing. We know the verse 2 Corinthians 5.17 real well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's talking about our nature. The old nature is cast off and we receive the new nature in Christ. It's spiritual. It's beautiful. It's clean. It, it's, it's giving us everything that we need. And we need to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. That, uh, I know this church is familiar with 1 Peter. I just laugh because that was, that was the place where I kind of wanted to start and I made the joke of it when I started in June. We started in 1 Peter and everybody went... <gasps> 
but uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. It's after 1 Peter, Jeremy. 2 Peter chapter 1. And again, we're looking at the spiritual transaction that takes place. It's nothing that we can do. It's, it's the Holy Spirit in us, um, spiritually adopted. And it says this. Let's begin in verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Sounds a lot like Gospel of John chapter 1. Understanding who Jesus is. Who God is. As His divine power has given to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay? We've been given everything we need to live a spiritual life for God. Everything that we need. That's spiritual. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. In verse 4, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises." Can I think of our study through Hebrews 11. We looked at many of those promises. Faith promises. Things that God has given to us spiritually. But here's the part. "...that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature." That's what we receive at salvation. That's what's offered to us the promises if we are partakers. That's us surrendering to that new nature in Christ. That's giving Him all of us. That's us allowing Him to, to lead us and, and, and for me, prod me into what He wants me to do. Partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the old world through lust. That's our old nature. It's cast off. It's done. That's the, the spiritual transaction of salvation right from Scripture. It's not complicated. God explains it to us. When I was saved, I used words like, I gave my life to God. I used words like, I asked Jesus into my heart. I, I turned and followed Christ. Or, or I turned to Christ. That's how I described my salvation. Those are great, great words. Great words. Great. It explains it. But I have to understand that it is a spiritual transaction that has nothing to do with what I actually do. I simply turn and I look upon the cross. I understand by faith what took place at Calvary and I give my life to Christ. It's nothing that I do. I simply give my spirit, I give my heart, I entrust Christ with it for eternity. And then it's His. Then it's His. Who are born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. God did the rest. God did the rest. That's when you approach salvation. When you approach the Christian life or sanctification, how important is it for us to understand that our Christian life is spiritual? How important is that? Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, and I'll just read this one for you. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. What's that talking about? That's talking about our old nature. Okay, we've received the new one in Christ, Christ's nature. We've cast off the old one, old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. New man. Who's the new man? Christ's nature. We put on the new man. We're a new creation. 
put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. Renewed in, in the picture of who Jesus is. Who He is spiritually. Now we can turn to Galatians chapter 5. This is the one that I thought there we'd get the most benefit of. Galatians chapter 5. The importance of understanding that our Christian life for Christ is spiritual. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. What's the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. He's talking about the leading. Right? He's talking about the surrender that's needing. He's talking about that spiritual connection. It's no longer us in the flesh. What Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Just for the sake of time, lust of the flesh is sin. It's, it's wickedness. It's all the stuff that we did that we recognize does not please God. It has no place in our Christian lives, and it needs to be done with. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. That idea of lust, and I'm still working through it there, it's, it's, it's a grasping, but the idea for the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The, the flesh, that sin, that things that we really do enjoy doing, that flesh Lust, it sets its heart upon or it seeks to take the place of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. So the flesh is, is desiring. It set its heart upon taking the place of what God wants to do spiritually in your life. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. The Spirit is saying, no, that's sin. That has no place in your Christian life. You need to be done with it. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Okay, we know that battle. But it's a spiritual battle. All right? It's the flesh and it's the spirit going at internally. Romans 7 is the 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 go-to for that, the, the war that's going on in there. But the the flesh and the spirit, flesh and spiritual things, they are not compatible. Okay? They cannot work together. They're contrary. They're, 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 they're always opposing one another. They cannot work together. The flesh must die when we receive and we place our faith in Christ and, and, and we give Him and we're seeking to live for Him. The flesh must die. The flesh must be cast off. The flesh must be buried. And in order to live spiritually for Christ, pleasing before God, it must be done with. Verse 24 of Galatians chapter 5, and those who are Christ, those are the ones that have believed, those are the ones that have taken hold of Christ, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with passions and desires. Okay, The flesh, the, the physical things, the things that, that a Satan is tempting us with, they're crucified. If we live in the Spirit, if we're living surrendered spiritually to God, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's going to be seen. That surrender, that spiritual surrender is going to be seen. So how important is it to understand that our Christian life is spiritual? Well, it's really important. 
And when we look at verse 13 of the Gospel of John, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God, if our relationship with God is spiritual, why don't we teach biblical spirituality? If our relationship with God is spiritual, why don't we teach spirituality, biblical spirituality? I think, again, to my burden of, of, and it's not the only reason why I went to Ontario, but I wanted my son to understand that, that he was making a decision for Christ. All right? he, was, he, was, he had received that new nature. He had made that spiritual transaction. He was committing his life spiritually to be led of God. I needed him to understand that. Why don't we teach biblical spirituality? Is it, is it because we are scared of what the world has turned spirituality into? I mean, is it, is it something that we're fearful of? Or maybe it's just something that we don't completely understand ourselves. I wrote these thoughts down. We as the church, we as believers, must be able to explain what verse 13 is saying. We have to... Uh, unashamedly explain that we are spiritually born again. We have received the nature of Christ. We are called to live surrendered and spiritually walk as God is leading us. We have to be able to explain that biblically because that is the the standard that we examine our own lives by. Biblical spirituality is the standard that we measure our own lives by? Are, are, are we where we need to be in our walk with Christ? And if we don't have an understanding about what spiritual life is and, and how it works internally as God is leading me, if I don't have an understanding of that, I am not examining myself. And if I don't have an understanding and I'm not examining myself, then I'm, I'm saying... That everyone is spiritual. Everyone is spiritual. If there's no standard, no examination, then everyone is spiritual. And if everyone is spiritual, then that means that everyone is spiritually okay. Everyone is spiritually okay. If there's no standard and there's no examination, then everyone is spiritual. Everyone is, is right before God. And, and even those that are the believers, that means that everyone is spiritually okay before God. And folks, that's never the case. That is absolutely never the case. I speak for, for myself. That's a, it's a daily thing to keep me spiritually okay before God. You think and you reflect. Paul continually exhorted us, pardon me, Paul continually wrote to the churches about exhorting one another to do with sin. Paul continually wrote to the churches about rebuking one another about sin, their spirituality. Paul continually wrote to the churches about praying for one another. It just wasn't for physical ailments. It was about sin and the presence of sin spiritually. When we think that everyone is spiritually okay, it becomes a religion. That is, that is religion. 
And that's what happened to the churches John is writing to. That is what happened to many cases of Christianity today. A lot of articles, a lot of things going on. Everybody is spiritually okay. We're just going to do our own thing. That's what's happened to, to many churches across New Brunswick as we bring it home. Right? Everybody's spiritually okay. It's never the case. And, and just open the Bible anywhere. It's never the case. Verses 10 to 13. And, and we've read it many times over the last couple of weeks. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The context of these four verses is being written to people that thought they were spiritual. Okay, think with me here for a second. It was written to the Pharisees who, who were doing all the right things that they thought. They had the temple practice. They had the sacrifices. They had the holy robes and the fancy hairdos. Now, I'm, I'm mocking a little bit there, but they thought that they were spiritual. And we know that they weren't. They crucified the very Messiah that God had sent. you got the Jewish people following along in their own practices. They were doing the things they thought they were spiritual. You've got the Samaritans, and we'll look at that there in a couple weeks. They worshipped in a different place, the woman at the well. They did things differently. They thought they were spiritual. Then you had the Gentiles, and, and, and the altars, and the temples. And you had, you had the Romans who, who worshipped Caesar. They thought they were spiritual. But they all missed the message from God through John the Baptist. They all missed the, the, the divine, true, spiritual light that came through Christ. They missed the Creator who came to the world. They did not know Him. These religious people were seeing and hearing, but they could not admit that their hearts and lives were empty. Let me read that again. All these people, all, all, all the five on that list, they thought they were spiritual people, but they could not admit. They were seeing and hearing Christ, but they could not admit that their hearts and lives were spiritually empty. How much spiritual fulfillment would you get from worshiping that speaker because there's music comes from it? That's what they were doing with their idols and carved images. If they were to say that they were wrong, <laughs> they'd have to admit that they're just living spiritually empty lives. experiencing nothing. No joy, no love from God, no peace. Why do you think Jesus taught so much? Right? These spiritually empty people, these spiritually dead people, Jesus taught, Jesus showed, Jesus spoke with authority. Verse 12 and 13 explains to us our spiritual beginning. Your spirituality, okay, we're going to use that word. Spirituality begins when you are born again in Christ, when you're adopted by God, when you are indwelt, you're regenerated, and you receive the new nature, Christ's nature. You receive your spiritual life. That's the, the, the bare bones of it. And your spiritual life for Christ requires that new birth. It requires receiving or taking hold of that new nature in Christ, that surrender that's needed, casting off the old sinful one and giving your heart, giving your life, giving yourself um, 
boldly and committing yourself to a life in Him. A spiritual life in Christ is not received by blood. Right? It's not received by blood. It, it, the washing of blood, sorry, the blood of man. I'll put it that way. That's a little bit less confusing. Spiritual life in Christ is not received by the blood of man. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's not received by the will of man. It's received by God. Your spiritual life cannot be lived by the blood of man. It's not a physical thing. It's, it's, it's not as much as I can pump energy into something or passion. It's not how you live for Christ. It's not by the blood of man. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's not by the will of man. But it's of God's. So just a couple thoughts as we look at verse 13. The idea of, of we're not, we don't receive spiritual life through those things. We don't live spiritual life from those things. Spirituality does not happen by blood. The Pharisees, that's the next slide there, the Pharisees, they banked on their heritage. Pharisees there thought they had it bought and paid for being the seed of Abraham. They, they banked on their heritage, and I wrote this down beside it. Faith and family created problems. Okay, <laughs> well, Hold on a second. Faith and family created problems. But I know this morning how important family is. I do. I do. I've, I, I have a great family that stuck through thick or thin, and someday if... If I get everything on paper there, it's going to be a great story of God's grace. I know how important family is. But you're not born into a spiritual relationship with Christ. You're not born into it, all right, physically. You're not, you're not anyway, we know what it means to be born as a baby. Um, you're not born into a spiritual relationship with Christ physically. Your family, your heritage, tradition has nothing to do with how and in what condition you stand spiritually before God. It has nothing to do with it. Your spirituality before God is your heart intimately experiencing Christ. Okay? It's your heart. Your spirituality is your heart taking hold of Christ. You have to do it. You can't do it for, for the other people and, and, and those of us that have been in families where we're relying on our parents who had taken hold of Christ. It doesn't work that way. Our spirituality is your heart confessing before God. It's your heart growing in Christ in your time in prayer, your time in the Word, your time at church, it's you becoming that new man that Christ has saved you to be. That is why our conversations, that is why our testimony, that is why our intentional witness in our homes, in our community, and I wrote this down, our intentional testimony around our dinner tables about what Christ is doing in our life is so important. Think of those conversations around your dinner tables. It, what Christ is doing in your life and being able to explain that is so important because those folks in our families, that they can see and watch what we do all they want, but if they don't connect that it is God in us, it's spiritual, it is the Holy Spirit leading me, if they don't connect, God is, is leading me, it's God in me that's doing it, it's just physical for them. Why our conversations about our spirituality are so important? Spirituality doesn't happen by blood. Spirituality doesn't happen by the will of the flesh. The Pharisees made their own report cards. 
Uh, it's kind of comical there, but they made their own report cards. I'm doing okay spiritually if I do this. Fill in the blank. The Pharisees there, I'm doing okay spiritually if I gave X amount of dollars to the food bank at Walmart on Thursday. Okay, I am spiritually doing okay if I do this. A spiritual relationship with Christ doesn't begin by your will. A spiritual relationship with Christ being lived in life is not done by your will because it's spiritual. Galatians 5.24 And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, therefore walk in the Spirit. Spirituality, and I hope we're getting comfortable with that word now, biblical spirituality does not happen by the will of man. The Pharisees were not being used of God because they served the flesh. They served the flesh. They were doing things in the flesh. They just did religion. And religion comes from talking too much to God about how spiritual you are, talking to God too much, and not listening. Not listening. So, in light of of that topic of baptism that was on my heart, I invite you to think back with yourself. Some of us might have to go back a little bit further than others. (laughs) To that time when you stepped into the waters of baptism. Think back, think back to that special, special time. What does your spiritual walk? We've we've looked at that, right? Salvation is a spiritual transaction. Living your life for Christ is is spiritual. What does your spiritual walk with Christ look like this morning? Does it reflect what you agreed to as you approach that tank or that that river bank? And and I can imagine all the nerves and, and everything and you sat in classes there. Does your spiritual life reflect what you agreed to? Does your spiritual walk with Christ reflect what you committed yourself to? What you promised to the Lord (laughs) that you would be engaged in knowing Christ? Right? You, 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 you You would take hold of Christ? Do people around you see that you're taking hold of Christ? Do they see that? Is your commitment to spiritually surrender, follow, and grow in Christ seen by your family, by your church, by the world, spiritually. What does that look like? We all have godly men and women in our life, and I'm so thankful for them, older folks who who have lived a faithful life. And I'm always looking towards them. But what does our life look like now? It's a spiritual, spiritual thing. Are we one of the as many in verse 12? Because some of them didn't receive Christ. Some of them didn't. Are we one of the as many ourselves? Because it is spiritual. It's nothing of ourselves. And it can only happen one way. It only happens by coming to God. So it's a spiritual thing. It only happens by coming back to God. It only happens by starting over with God. And that's the, the beauty of it, that, that the everyday thing. Personal note, and I promise this is the close. That's what I had to do. I had to start over. 
I had to come back to God and I had to start over. The hardest part of being away from God and the, and the spiritual thing, idea of things, the spiritual surrender, the hardest part of being away from God and who He wants to be in my life spiritually is the emptiness. That's the hardest part about being away from God. It's, it's that empty, deep down knowing knowing that I'm not where I need to be. It's the feeling nothing. It's coming to the Bible, prayer, going to church and feeling nothing. It's a gut-wrenching thing. This goes on for a time, goes on for a time, and then you stop noticing it. You stop noticing that feeling of nothing. Until you need it. You stop noticing it until you need it. And that thing happens. It, you, you find yourself a little bit too deep into something, a little bit too far gone. And all of a sudden you need that spiritual relationship. You need that leading. You need that help desperately. And then it's terrible because He isn't there. I'm not talking salvific or salvation, but, but He isn't there because I haven't cultivated that. But then you hear that voice. I love that song, Call, Come Home. You hear that voice, and He's calling you home. He reminds you you've been born of God. Your position is secure, but you need to come to Him. You need to come back. I wrote this thought down this morning. Verse 13, You are born of God spiritually, but spiritual neglect in our lives goes two ways. Right? If, we're, if we're neglecting this, if we're neglecting prayer, if we're, we're neglecting repentance and confession before Him, <laughs> we're not going to experience the fullness of that divine nature because God isn't going to force us. Three things. We need to repent of what we need to. Each, every one of us is in this place. This is a daily thing. Repent of what we need to. We need to reach out for help because we have to. And we need to surrender our hearts continually because God asks us to. We are, we're not okay the way we are, and that's His grace and His mercy and His love all bundled up, but we have to come to Him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for Your grace, Your love, Your mercy your second, third, chances, fourth chances, and then all the way down, Lord. We're so thankful for that. But Lord, our old nature's call to us. Lord, our flesh lusts after the Spirit. Lord, it fights for position. And Lord, we need help. We need, we need the strength. We need the nudging. Lord, we need You to shave off the things in our lives that we're hardened to. And Lord, we need to get back to what it means to be spiritually surrendered to You. Lord, I pray that we do repent of what needs to be repented of. We need to ask for forgiveness for that. Lord, we need to ask for help. Lord, there's a reason why You've brought Cold Stream Baptist Church together in such a, a beautiful, close-knit family. Lord, we're not called to do this on our own. Our spiritual walk is to be as the body of Christ. 
we have lots of resources, Lord. We have lots of believers around us. Lord, if we need help, we need to ask. And Lord, we need to surrender. Help us to do what needs to be done, Lord. Change us in your precious name. Amen.